What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What is that sound, Ray? Is that buzzing? Yes, tech buzzing. No, just kidding. No, it's the sound of ants. Ah, that's because this episode is on the Chinese fintech giant Ant Financial, now officially the biggest unicorn in the world. In fact, it's basically the size of the next three unicorns combined. That's Uber, Didi, and Xiaomi, who are all already around fifty billion dollars. We've been calling private tech companies bigger than ten billion dollars in valuation decacorns. Do we need to start calling Ant? What's the Latin for a hundred cent? A centicorn? <laughs> I actually think that sounds pretty good. Ant is really in a league of its own here, not just in terms of valuation, but in terms of scale. In fact, some people think it might be bigger than its mommy, Alibaba. But is Ant really Alibaba's child? It's a bit confusing, actually, as it is with many things in China. But let us tell you the tale of the biggest privately held startup in the world right now, Ant Financial. The president's key economic team goes to China. Uh, after a whole night thinking, I say I still want to do it. We are Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily, powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. We are a new weekly podcast focused on giving you a peek into what's buzzing within the tech community in China. We uncover and contextualize unique insights, perspectives, and takeaways on headline tech news that don't always make it into English language coverage. Tech Buzz China is a part of PanDaily.com, a new English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I am one of your two co-hosts, Rayma, and I'm Yingying Liu, your other co-host. We'd like to take a sec here, as always, to give a shout out to some of our listeners who've written in. Yeah, a huge thank you to Vivian Yang, Deborah Wei, Tingting Zhou, and Alex Cheneso. I'm I hope I got that right. So, and、uh, by the way, guys, we are putting up transcripts for our past episodes right now. So please go check them out on Pandaily.com. Again, if you enjoy listening to us, please also take the time to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or elsewhere. And we'd like to further direct our listeners to subscribe to the weekly newsletter by Pandaily. If you go to pandaily.com and input your email under the subscribe button on the right, you'll get weekly China tech delivered right to your inbox. <music> Okay, so the biggest headline in China tech recently, and we do mean big, because the dollar amount is huge, is the pre-IPO round of funding that Ant Financial completed on June 8th of this year. It was for a whopping 14 billion dollars. It was bigger than anyone was expecting, and values Ant at about 150 billion, which is, by the way, already higher than the 140 billion Alibaba was valued at during its IPO way back in 2014. 
Investors were a list of who's who in private equity. GIC, Warburg Pincus, Canada Pension Plan, Silver Lake, Tomasek, General Atlantic, Carlyle Group, Primavera Capital. Okay, okay, we got the point. It's the world's first centicorn and financial, and it's a big deal. But what the heck is it? It is basically all of Alibaba's payments and financial services, such as Alipay, the payments product, and a whole host of products directed at consumers and small businesses, including an investment platform called Yuobao and small business loans. So, okay, it's a financial services company. Why is it called Ant Financial? Chinese internet loves animal mascots, and Alibaba most of all. It already has Tmall, Tianmall, which is represented by a cat, and Cainiao for its logistics company, which is a bird. Shenma, a sort of homonym for what, is its search engine, which has the mascot of a horse. The ant is supposed to represent the company's focus on small customers and business owners. No matter how small, we want to serve you. Is the idea. But Ant wasn't always called Ant Financial. It actually started its life as Alipay, which is a third-party payments company founded in 2004 by Alibaba. I think most of our listeners are probably familiar with Alipay by now, but if you are not, it's a massive payments platform. It has 520 million users, 82% of whom are on mobile. In mobile payments in China, it has a market share of 54%, ahead of WeChat's 38%. On Alibaba's last Singles Day, or one 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 twenty seventeen, Alipay processed nearly twenty six billion dollars, or something like three hundred twenty five thousand orders per second. So it's ginormous. Yeah, but let's go back to two thousand nine for a sec. Back then, the Chinese government was talking about issuing third party payment licenses, which it did, by the way, officially announce later in two thousand ten. But while companies such as Alipay and a bunch of others had already been operating for quite a few years, they were technically in a gray area. The Chinese government, by the way, often takes a wait and see approach when it comes to regulation. So while everyone in the payment space knew that regulation was coming, no one really knew what the specifics were going to look like. But people did guess that it would probably preclude foreign-owned companies from getting licenses. This happens in all sorts of industries in China, and so no one expected any different for payments. Or at least that was Jack Ma's excuse when he quietly used another entity, owned eighty percent by himself and twenty percent by another Alibaba co-founder, Xie Shihuang, to acquire Alipay from under Alibaba. Now, why would Alibaba be considered foreign-owned? You ask. That's because Yahoo and SoftBank each owned about forty and thirty percent, respectively, of the company at around this time. So that's an American firm and a Japanese firm. So yeah, that makes Alibaba foreign-owned. So Jack, without telling the other shareholders, put Alipay in a new entity, a Chinese one. When the other shareholders found out later in 2011, it was too late. Honestly, even in Chinese media, this incident, which is known as Zhifubao Shijian, or the Alipay incident, is considered a sort of stain on Jack Ma's legacy. No one really knows if Jack truly did it to protect the fledgling payments company, as he claimed, or if he was just exploiting the fact that the Yahoo and SoftBank guys were asleep at the wheel, and gave himself more control over some of the most valuable aspects of the business. People also think that Jack might have initially started off thinking of holding Alipay hostage to get Yahoo to sell down their stake in Alibaba at the time and gain back some control. 
Or maybe he simply wasn't happy with his measly 7% stake in Alibaba and wanted to start Ant with a clean slate. But he did say back at the time of the spinoff that he will never own more of Ant than he does of Alibaba. And Alibaba employees did also get shares in Ant, 40% of the total, in fact, at the time of the split. So maybe not. In other words, we don't know. All we know is that was an ugly dispute that lasted throughout much of 2011 and was very public. It pissed off a lot of Yahoo shareholders who by that time already considered the stake in Alibaba to be Yahoo's most valuable asset. Tensions were really high. My old firm actually was one of the primary advisors on the SoftBank side for this deal. And let me just say we were all working overtime to come to an agreement. And the deal was that Ant would pay Alibaba a sort of royalty fee that was 37.5% of Ant's pre-tax income. When it became feasible to do so, Alibaba would then end the licensing agreement and give Ant all the associated IP and receive an equity stake of 33% in Ant. So essentially switching the royalty fee for equity. And that's exactly what happened earlier this year. Ant officially ended the more than $300 million in royalties it was paying to Alibaba and welcomed Alibaba as one of its owners instead. See what we meant earlier about their relationship being very messy? But that happens all the time in China. And also, Alipay is just the beginning. That's because while payments is sexy, consumer financial services is much more sexy. And that's where Yula Bao, and Financial's most successful asset management product to date, comes in. I'd say Yula Bao was a kind of innovation for its time. Back in 2013, Alibaba basically connected your Alipay account to a specific money market fund. In this case, it was called Tianhong. Alibaba owned a 51% controlling stake in the fund. They connected the fund to Alipay and allowed for 24-7 withdrawal and deposit. Oh, and by the way, the minimum deposit? Just one RMB, or 16 cents. Money market funds and accounts are obviously not a new thing. Many financial institutions in the U.S. offer them, especially since some new rules were instituted back in 1982. In the U.S., current rates are a bit north of 1.5% annualized, but many require a few thousand dollars to start. And if you do a money market deposit account, which is FDIC insured, you often have limited check writing capabilities, like just a few times a month. We're not banking experts here, but as far as we can tell, UABAL is more like a money market fund account here in the U.S. It's not insured by the government and basically invests in short-term fixed income products. What happened is as soon as Yerba launched, it exploded. It launched on June 13th, 2013. Within one month, it had reached 10 billion RMB or 1.6 billion US dollars in assets under management, aka AUM. By the end of February 2014, it had 81 million users, exceeding the number of stock market accounts in all of China at the time. <laughs> that was so dramatic, Yingying. Why do you ask? Why did Yuaba have this explosive growth? Well, a mixture of things. So number one, have you been to a Chinese bank? If not, I will spare you the experience because let me just say it's extremely unpleasant. Even today, as for online banking, it's quite good now, but back in 2013, it was clunky to say the least. And then don't forget the account minimums. Who is going to let you invest in a fund for just 16 cents? No one, only Alibaba. Only Alibaba, of course. And no, we're not making a mistake here because Ant wasn't actually established until October 2014. So when Yerba was first launched, it was still under Alibaba. 
And consider the interest rates back then. So on the day it opened, Yuobao's money market fund had an annualized rate of 3.2 percent. Over the years, it's gone to as high as almost 7 percent, and today it's still hovering around 3.8. An analysis by Wall Street Journal last year showed that Eurobond consistently offers two percent more than traditional bank deposits. Again, it's not riskless, but that's not a bad place to park your cash with basically a hundred percent liquidity, right? No, not bad at all. And it's precisely because the deal was so great for consumers that Eurobond's AUM grew like crazy. So as of March thirty first this year, its flagship fund Tianhe manages one point seven trillion RMB. That's about 260 billion USD. In the five years since inception, it's returned 21 percent to investors. It's the largest money market fund in the world, and accounts for 20 percent of the value of all money market funds in China. It's so big, in fact, that it was creating anxiety for the Chinese government. Since there are no restrictions on withdrawing money, Yuobao's massive scale could mean that if there is some kind of adverse event and users decided to all withdraw money at the same time, it would most definitely tank the market, maybe even creating further panic. The central bank had thought of this as a risk from the beginning, and the government stepped in at the end of 2016 with some new regulations. Pretty soon after, Yuobao accounts were restricted to balances of 250k RMB. That's about 38k USD. A few months later, that was further reduced to 15k USD, and by December 2017, individuals were restricted to investing a max of only 3,000 USD per day. That clearly didn't do the trick because a system-wide limit was then imposed in February of this year. The limit meant that the entire fund would only accept a certain amount of new investment per day, and new deposits would be disabled when the quota was reached for that particular day. Yeah, this is all in an effort to control the amount of money going to the fund. But for many people, what this meant was that the first thing they do in the morning at 9 a.m. when the deposit window opened, they would rush to put in whatever spare cash they have in their Alipay into Yuobao before the quota was filled for the day. That's how important this product was to them. Rough, but dedicated money savers can rejoice. In May, Yuobao added two new money market funds, both of which are unrestricted, and both of which are offering similar-ish rates to the core Tianhong product, but of just a few billion in AUM. It's going to be interesting to see where they end up at the end of the quarter, and whether or not they grow to be as big as the Tianhong flagship fund. But let's stop here and ask: Is what Yuobao has accomplished that innovative? It was definitely innovative, but it wasn't that innovative. PayPal had actually done the same. For those of you listening who are old enough to remember, PayPal closed the service down in 2011. However, because well, they were only managing a half a billion dollars and it was operating at a loss. I mean, by the time it closed, consumers were on track to get less than 0.1 percent for the entire year. So I don't think anyone shed too many tears. So even though Uber is cool, it probably couldn't have worked in the U.S. interest rate environment. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, you're probably right. All right, enough on Yuobao. What about Sesame Credit? Okay, okay. Before we go into that, I just want to briefly comment,、uh, kind of rant on the traditional consumer financial system in China. Basically, it sucks a lot. When I arrived in China in 2007 to get a credit card, China Construction Bank didn't just ask me to fill out my wage information; they made me get a notarized letter from HR explaining my title, appending my contract. And verifying my salary—it was such a hassle. The conclusion: getting any kind of credit is a pain in the butt in China. Ah,、uh, sounds rough, right? But Ant, which is armed with 
all of this data on the payment habits of its decade-long relationship with hundreds of millions of Alipay users, was uniquely positioned to come up with a credit scoring system. Aha! Alibaba and his forty thieves had found their treasure. Open sesame. That's right. Jima, which means sesame, was launched in 2015 after receiving one of the eight credit scoring licenses given out by the Chinese government. You can find many stories online of how important a user's sesame score is. For example, I just checked my own, and I have a score of 578, which is not very good. It's actually pretty bad. Because I don't really use Alipay very much, and I didn't bind any information to it, so you can bind information such as property holdings, cars, or bank accounts to boost your score. Yeah, I don't even know what my score is. Anyways, the higher the score you do have, the more benefits you get. They range from small things like not having to pay a deposit for your bike sharing, car rental, to bigger things like your apartment deposit. Of course, in addition to scoring credit, this now means Ant can be a confident lender. Because it has so much information on you and your spending, so that's what Ant does nowadays. It has completed about fifty billion dollars of loans so far, and it has also issued, by the way, forty billion dollars worth of consumer loan-backed securities just in two thousand seventeen alone. So to summarize, now we have covered three of Ant's most visible businesses: Alipay, Yuobao, and Jima Credit. So there's quite a few other parts of Ant's business that we won't go into right here because this is running rather long already, and we're really more interested in discussing not what Ant's already done, but what it's looking to do in the future, and things that could or are already tripping it up. The first of which is social networking. Ant loves social networking. It invested in Momo, the dating and live streaming app, and tried to clone WeChat with a product called Liwang, which means back and forth. It also did an enterprise chat product called Dingding that is basically a Slack clone. That one seems to be working okay, but I wouldn't really consider that real social networking. Why does it keep on trying to get into social networking though? Because most people believe a pure transactional platform doesn't have staying power. Alipay used to have something like eighty percent market share in China. After the launch of WeChat, it lost thirty percent to Tencent, and now the gap seems to be narrowing. Right, and when it banned links to Taobao from WeChat, that was almost one of the stupidest things it could do, because it literally just made WeChat shops that much more popular. But it just keeps on trying. At the end of 2016, it made some really bad decisions in the form of products called Campus Diaries and White Collar Diaries. So I have no idea who greenlit these products, but here is what they were: only females could post profiles, and users with a high Sesame Credit score could comment. That means others like myself, with my mediocre score, could only tip the profiles with Alipay and cannot comment. I have no idea who will want to do either of those things, but what happened was that the profiles quickly got very pornographic in nature. And don't forget the VIP groups for pretty and rich people, i.e., where the app literally scans your face, determines if you're good-looking enough, looks up your credit score before allowing you to join the group. The diaries were a huge scandal, and Ant had to apologize publicly. Sounds kind of like a Black Mirror episode to me, and it reminds me of Didi's Hitch Project Gone Bad. We covered that back in episode six, but at least here, no one died. Anyway, the point is. Ant has not cracked social, and its first place lead in payments may be much more precarious than we think. The second risk, though, is even more serious. 
As we've alluded to above, there's been increasing regulatory hurdles for consumer finance in general as the Chinese government gets wiser about policing risk, financial risk. See, Ant has three revenue streams: payments, financial services, and technical services. In 2016, payments was the largest at about 70% of the revenue, and the other two were at about 15% each. By the next year in 2017, that had changed with payments decreasing to 54%, technical services going up to 34 or 1/3, and financial services dropping to 11. But the biggest changes are yet to come. In announced last month that by 2021, it expects that services will comprise 65% of revenue, followed by payments at 28% and financial services at a negligible 6%. That's a huge shift in revenue mix over the next few years. The technical and payments services businesses are basically swapping places. Can such a large company with 870 million active users, aka twice the size of the US, and 15 million small business users make such a fast pivot? Well, some experts in China think Ant has no choice but to do that. It's not a state-owned enterprise and it's not a commercial bank. They think that its finance business will be capped. Better to stick with tech, right? Offer technical solutions to finance companies instead. But Ant has a consumer background, doesn't it? Think about the products we highlighted in detail today. Those are all consumer-facing products. Or you could think of them as algorithms and data solutions that can be sold to other tech-hungry firms. And Ant, by the way, has indeed been positioning itself as a strong data and analytics company for the past several years. Now, before we tell you what we think, we asked a notable fintech VC in China what he thought. Can you introduce yourself, please, Wayne? Hi there. My name is Wayne Xiong at China Growth Capital. We started with fintech in 2006, and、uh, we have around close to 40 fintech companies in China. And、uh, we're also one of the first into crypto investing with portfolio like Ripple Labs. And in China, we cover robo advisor to anti-fraud detection, cloud services, all sort of fintech companies. So, Wang, what's your opinion on Ant's valuation and your overall assessment of the company? I think it's a market recognition with a lot of big names in the round. I think that it's a strong evidence that、um, Alibaba e-commerce business has started to level off, and、uh, they have to rely on some other business lines to keep the growth momentum. And、uh, and financial has been doing really well in attracting Chinese users and becoming the default robo advisor type of services in China, and、uh, definitely the default payment tool company. And I think、uh, its weakness is probably on the international side. So、uh, if you travel abroad, if you're in the U.S. or Europe or Japan, and there's still very little penetration for Alipay. Fair assessments, Wayne. There's a lot of people who think Ant Financial is going to be bigger than Alibaba itself. Any comment on that? I would agree that Ant Financial is definitely going to be more valuable than the overall Alibaba group. And I think the key reason being, if you look at the retail space, then it's very competitive and it doesn't have a kind of regulatory threshold or kind of entry barrier, and for other people to march into the space. And、uh, also, it faces strong competition from people like JD and a few others in the market. But if you look at the financial services area. Whether from a consumer perspective or from a SME perspective, then and financial is in a perfect position to defend. Thank you, Wei. That was super helpful. 
One last point, though, Ying Ying, I have to share with you before we come to our final conclusion, and that is. In the first quarter of 2018, Ant actually disclosed that it lost money. It had net losses of 114 million dollars. Some people took this as pretty negative news. I think it's natural that Ant's incurring losses. It's still growing really fast, after all. It's been aggressively expanding overseas too. For example, cultivating international markets along the One Belt One Road initiative by the Chinese government. And on that technology service front. In the past three years, Ants exported its technology overseas to nine countries along the belt. That's true. It's also extended coverage of Alipay, by the way, to forty countries now, covering twenty-seven currencies, and it's invested abroad as well. It now owns stakes in India's Paytm as well as Korea's KakaoPay, among other companies. So, Yingying, does that mean we think Ant is going to be bigger than Alibaba? I think so. But there's a lot of risk. Well, we'll see. Maybe in three years we'll be doing the largest IPO and financial. We'd like to give a shout out to our partners at SubChina. In addition to our podcast here with Pan Daily, they publish the excellent Sinica podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs on China with journalists, writers, academics, policymakers, and business people. So while we only focus on tech, they really give you the entire overview. SubChina, hand in hand with GGV, also publishes the GGV 996 podcast, which interviews top tech leaders in China tech and investment. By the way, their first episode was with Jerry Yang, who made that initial investment with Jack Ma in Alibaba. Okay, that's all for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. We really enjoyed putting this together, as always, and are open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at TechBuzzChina, and my personal Twitter account is Rayma. That's spelled R U I M A, and my Twitter is spelled G I N Y G I N Y. We'll be back here same time next week. Bye, everyone. TechBuzzChina by Pan Daily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. PanDaily.com is a new English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Carol Yin and Kaiser Guo. Our intern is Scott Du. 